Hi, everybody. This is John Petrolis, host of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, another show from your friends at Gray. On Gray Matter, we explore the most innovative and inspiring ideas from creators, founders, and inventors. We dig deep to learn about the problems that led to big solutions through in-depth conversations. And right now, you can listen to our conversations with creators like poet Jay Ivey and comedian Cecily Strong of SNL, the founder of The Moth, George Dawes Green, the couple that started Unsplash, and the inventor of the not-reaching pouch, Jackie Carter. And this year, we have even more great conversations coming your way from innovators from industries including fashion, social media, tech, and more. Episodes are released every other Tuesday. After you finish listening to The Five Things, go check out Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, wherever you find podcasts. That's spelled G-R-E-Y, Gray Matter. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast, the five things where we dive deep into five topics from social media and share our takes. Joining me this week on the pod, two regulars. We have Amanda and Juliana. Hello. Hello. I've always wanted to be a regular somewhere and now I've made it. Yeah, this is like the cheers bar for podcasts. I appreciate it. I'm Norm. Um, All right. That, that'll, that should be the podcast title. I'm Norm. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's get right into the five things. Uh, we are going to kick it off with TikTok partnering with Vimeo to drive small business success. Twitter launching captioned voice tweets in a push for accessibility. Yes. Facebook launching their new $1 billion creator fund through 2022. YouTube introducing a new tip jar feature. Super thanks which lets fans give money to creators and super thanks to all of you listening. And then finally, Toyota cancels their ads for this year's Olympics in Tokyo, the drama. (laughs) All right, let's dive right in. So TikTok is partnering with Vimeo to drive small business success. I will take this one. Uh, This is interesting. Basically in this partnership, Vimeo is taking all of their video tools, their editing tools, their targeting tools, everything that helps make Vimeo one of the premier platforms for video, long form video sharing. And they're integrating it into TikTok, which is huge. TikTok's had a big couple of weeks, whether it's around um, their self-service ad platform that they're launching and now these tools to help small businesses. They're clearly making it easier for people to create, share, uh, you know, and connect, if you will, with their audiences. Um, this is not earth shattering. It's just good. It's good for them as a platform. They know who they are and they're leaning into others within the industry who are known for video sharing and they are ensuring that they have the best tools possible to connect with their audiences. I will open it up to the floor in case there's something anyone would like to add. Uh, but what do we think about this Vimeo? Is this a shot at YouTube? Would it, is this just good business? What's happening here? People. I think this makes total sense. And I think this is also a really smart follow-up to a couple of months ago when we were talking about how TikTok is really democratizing video creation tools that used to really just be iMovie and hopefully you kind of knew how to use that. And if not, you know, you weren't making videos online. So I think as this spreads, that like access spreads to small businesses, it actually will impact a community of small businesses that don't get to reach a certain audience because they don't have a high production budget or maybe they don't have, you know, skills in house to do those things. So it's the next chapter of what TikTok has been doing and, you know, creating access to these video tools that 
the expansion makes sense. I'm excited to see what kind of businesses, you know, run with this and start to create content on their own. I think it'll change the way that a lot of um, these companies make advertising. Yeah, and I definitely think as well, the benefit of kind of allowing these individual shops to have the power in their own hands to make this type of content. Like I think what can oftentimes stop smaller businesses from really getting to a place where they can be is really just that like rudimentary understanding of the principles of Photoshop or creating ads for yourself. You know, you see a local business ad and you can really tell. Uh, So the idea of TikTok kind of taking into account the fact that you have young people that are becoming like master video editors just because they want to get, you know, interesting stuff off to their friends, allowing for business owners to be able to participate in that world and get that acumen. I think it's it's really um, interesting. And I think it will also be intriguing to see how that progresses as far as the world of, you know, fiber and things like that when people now have the ability to create content themselves. All right, let's move forward. Um, all right, so Twitter launches captioned voice tweets to push for accessibility. I love this. Amanda, tell us about it. I'm pumped. So Twitter is rolling out um, captions for their voice tweets. They launched them, I think, June of last year. But a lot of people, they received a lot of criticism because accessibility advocates, you know, if if you can't hear, you can't understand what's happening in any of these voice tweets. So you're leaving out a large population um, when you make this content. So they just launched um, automatically created captions. They also launched this within Twitter Spaces, which is their clubhouse offering that we've been talking about. I think, and and don't quote me on this, I don't think Clubhouse has captions. So I think this is a, a big step for audio-only social media platform um, features. I think it's also interesting because Twitter was really honest about this rollout and why they added this. They originally didn't have an accessibility team last year. And now in the interim, they've invested in this space, understood it's really important, and also understood beyond accessibility, there's not really one behavior on any platform like there used to be. I mean, TikTok is an anomaly. It's very sound on all the time. But when you look at even Instagram or Twitter, whether it's accessibility or understanding like your audience behavior, I think this is a a big way that Twitter is helping its creators and the brands on the platform understand how people consume their content, what's successful and what's not. So we love to see these things. And also I enjoyed the, um, the humbleness of Twitter of saying, you know, we might not have gotten it correct the first time, but we're committed to making it right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this just shows Twitter being unbelievably self-aware. They have been unbelievably responsive to the needs of their broader user-based community overall. Uh, They have the scalability to do it and test it and see how it goes and refine it. And I was just talking to some big marketers yesterday about this. And the, the the truth is that Twitter has proven so much in the last 24 months um, about their ability to listen to their audiences and not just do what they think is right in the walls of their business. And you know, it's just this just adds to to that list of things that they have done well. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of the little blue bird. Juliana, what do we think? Yeah, I, I might be the fly in the fruit punch here, but I also think that, yes, like in general, any push for accessibility, like, you know, like classic curb cut effect is beneficial because it's beneficial. And I think people having extended accessibility is going to be great. 
I also can't help but notice that, you know, Fleets was pulled back, the audio feature within the Twitter world. And I think the slowly getting us accustomed to there being an audio element to Twitter will also be something very interesting to see if once people get more comfortable with that, something like a Fleets might return. Um, so not trying to discount, you know, the, the ultimate good that is had from this more um, accessible way of navigating Twitter. But I can't help but wonder uh, what this will mean for Twitter in the future as far as there being an audio element. I, I think it'll be good for spaces. I mean, the fact that it, it'll, it'll work for Twitter spaces, and that's a good thing. Um, my, you know, I think in general accessibility in the marketing space is a, is a good conversation to be having. I've been on countless creative reviews, multiple agencies, not calling anyone out, where the notion of putting in captioning or the, noti- the notion of putting in, you know, accessibility markers to make sure that everyone can interact with the ad is a hot debate. And that could be a little, that's probably the most controversial thing I've said on here. Um, but in, in a lot of ways, it is because there's the art of advertising, which matters to the people in agencies. But then there's the accessibility to the ad and the content, which is what it really needs to be focused on because that's how people are going to engage. And that's the thing that matters the most. So Twitter having these features shows that, okay, so you know, we as marketers should get it. The platforms are starting to get it. The audiences have always wanted it. Like this is the this is table stakes. This isn't this won't be a aha feature, right? I agree, Kenny. I was gonna say I think it's like it's just change and change. You know, not ha- not having having the privilege not to consider accessibility features doesn't have to touch you know the advertising that you do. I think as we change and start to learn more about the world around us, we become better advertisers because of it, and it's it's just Amen. change. Changes. I was going to sing that, but I have a little bit of a sore throat, so I thought I'd, I knew you would take that ball and run with it. Change? Oh, there we go. Juliana just did like a little shuffle. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Okay. Listen, none of you get to see us, but it was worth it. Um, all right. Juliana, so this was big news. Um, and this has been out for a tiny bit, but it, it, I think it'll lead to some good, fruitful discussion. So Facebook launched a new creator fund through 2022 for $1 billion. Um, tell us about it. Yeah, I agree. I was so focused on thinking about harmonizing the changes that it didn't even hit me about how wild the situation is. So what is on the tan? I mean, it's pretty um, inchoate as of right now, but effectively, like, Kenny was saying, Facebook is planning to pay out a billion dollars to creators through the end of 2022. And this is part of this larger effort to kind of bring in those content creators to, um, you know, Instagram, to Facebook as well. And what's really interesting about the way that Facebook is approaching it is that it's a very direct, like you get money if you are using different features or are elements of the, um, of the apps, or you hit sort of like certain milestones. So as a creator, you can get money uh, on Facebook if you are running ads in your videos or if you get certain uh, like numbers of tips during your live streams. Uh, on Instagram, you can get uh, paid if you're enabling ads on your IGTV videos. Also, if you're getting tipped during your live streams 
or if you're using the Reels app and or the Reels function and you uh, create popular videos. And in kind of reading around all of this and how it differs from like the TikTok creators uh, funds from what YouTube did as well in order to encourage uh, usage of different elements of it is that having this money really structures like a bonus for hitting certain tasks, almost like a video game is a very new way of going about it. And while it adds to kind of, you know, Facebook's overarching desire to pull in more creators, what I think will be really intriguing is to understand what this means for the type of content that creators are going to be making. Again, I feel maybe it's because I have a cold that I'm being unnecessarily pessimistic. But as far as the law of unintended consequences is concerned, I think when we saw like the YouTube shift of content, once there was like very specific monetary goals associated, um, it will be really intriguing to see what comes of Facebook and Instagram, obviously, uh, when you're telling people like all you need to do is get in eyeballs and hit a certain number and you can, you know, um, uh, create an exponent to the amount you're going to earn. So I'm super scared, but really, really excited to see what happens. Will this be the downfall of us all? I don't know. You tell me. I think it's interesting, too, because I I mean, Facebook is not a platform where you initially think of content creators making content. I know, you know, Facebook gaming has a, a portion, and to your point, like the reels and the other features on the platform. So I'm curious to see if also they pull certain levers to bring specific types of content and content creators to the platform. Um assuming away from other platforms. When I think about like Twitch, for instance, and all the Facebook's uh, recent actions to try to bring gaming streamers over to their platform, like that could be a place where, again, if a lot of this fund falls into gaming streamers, we really could, to your point, Juliana, see a big uptick in the amount of content that's created on that platform and the audiences that go there because they are such strong personalities. Um, But yeah, I'm intrigued to see where this goes. I think any money in creators' pockets is always good creator economy as we've been talking about is is it and it will be it for a minute now so they're catching on it is they realize this is a positive move for the creator economy it is a defensive move from facebook and they know that tiktok is a place where creators are having immense success there is um, you know, they know that Twitter has become a place for talent to go and show their stuff. And they probably were beginning to see a, a drop off in talent on, on Instagram in particular. Um, and that's where I think this stems from. This is an investment in the future of their platform because a billion dollars to creators in hopes of generating $10 billion in ad revenue, <laughs> it, like that's the formula. This is an investment in priming the pump. Uh, I want to know who it's going to. I want to make sure that this is not perpetuating any of the bad things that Facebook and Instagram have going on. Misinformation, you know, unconscious or conscious bias, both things. Like there's just so much happening that we just want to make sure that this fund is being used appropriately. And that's the thing that matters the most. I think money for the creator economy is fantastic. Uh, I hope it helps Facebook and Instagram find their way a little bit. All right. Well, that was lively. Um, Amanda, speaking of rewarding creators, let's talk about Super Thanks, the tip jar feature from YouTube. 
Super thanks. I'm going to start saying that. Um, so this new feature, it's being rolled out um, in a test mode for some users, but it lets uh, users that follow someone applaud the creator. They, they're saying applaud them by tipping anywhere from $2 to $50. So you can purchase an option in there. And when you tip the creator that you're watching, assumingly like a live stream video of, you'll get a little celebration animation on the screen. You'll get a little comment that says your name. It looks a lot like Twitch. I'm not going to lie. This is a Patreon play. It's also a Twitch play. I think the functionality, while Twitch has had, you know, um, a long relationship with its creators since they started, they were kind of the first ones to understand how people interact with creators, the very personal um, angle to it. You know, it's you can say, thanks, Amanda, for the $5 or the subscription or whatever it will be. And they got that right pretty early on. So I think understanding, you know, people, uh, we've been talking about it for a long time too, shifting social media from this place where you you log on and you feel like you should be seeing a bunch of content, but it really wasn't occurring to a lot of people that you should be paying people for this content. So as the general social media user starts to understand that, you know, maybe they should be paying creators for their time. I think understanding that when you can make it more personal, when you can have, you know, an acknowledgement of your support, when you can have something that feels like a back and forth conversation, that's when people are much more likely to engage versus an anonymous donation or something that just goes into some, you know, pile of, of tips. So I think this is really smart for YouTube. I think, you know, it, it's not dissimilar to what Twitch has done, but I think same conversation we've been having as YouTube starts to roll out more features that compete with their, you know, other platforms, creators are going to go to where they have the best experience they get the most return on the content that they're making and they, you know, are successful from it. So another step in YouTube trying to solidify its place, right? Just trying to get there right above Twitch, but we'll see. Macro trend. The thing that really... <laughs> Go ahead, Juliana. No, I was going to say, the thing that really stomps my grapes is I'm thinking like you follow someone on TikTok, you follow them on Instagram, you follow them on YouTube. And in all these spaces you know, you're, you're encouraging, of course, the individual to, to tip the creator, which I do agree creates like a really great kind of one-on-one relationship. But I think what this kind of, these actions, um, might sort of be taking us away from and something I would really be interested in seeing more of is how platforms like a YouTube are just trying to create like greater monetization for creators, you know, like actually giving them some portion of the, exorbitant amount of revenue that they're getting versus kind of deferring the cost over to um, the content consumers. So I think as well, like as, as more social media outlets kind of ask you to contribute money directly to the creator, I'm wondering where there will kind of be that like, yes, it's, you know, fantastic, especially being able to be a part of it, but when there will also be sort of the, the turn and shift to ask, you know, if I'm, sitting on YouTube, watching it for an hour and a half, watching this person and tipping them and YouTube is getting, you know, ad revenue and whatever have you, you know, how exactly is YouTube working to ensure that it's not solely putting the burden of compensation on the consumer? Uh, But I think that's something that was happening a little bit a while back with like, you know, YouTube gate and people trying to understand, you know, why there's such a weird monetization policy. And I don't think those conversations have died down, uh, but it'll be interesting to see if there's a resurgence of them once we kind of, you know, tapped uh once you kind of tapped the well fully of all the ways to get other people to pay for these content creators and to that point juliana i think as we get deeper into the nuance of you know how do content creators monetize 
there really should be a conversation around, you know, the platform owes a specific amount to the creator for making the content, for using the platform, for using the platform tools. But the moment of like um, tipping someone during a live stream, for instance, really helps the creator understand which content that viewers want to see. If they do some segment that's really funny or really interesting, they get a bunch of tips. All right, great. Creatively, this is helpful in helping me understand how to keep making content that my viewers enjoy. So I think, again, as we get deeper in the understanding of how creators are making money during their um, their craft, th- that's part of the nuance that we can kind of consider of the purpose of it. Thank you for pulling me back from the edge there, Amanda. I was getting really, really dizzy on that soapbox. Uh, I have to say, as metaphors and idioms go, Juliana's got them locked down. For those keeping score at home, find the fruit punch, stomp on my grapes. There will be more. Pay attention. Um, all right. Finally, I really do love the Olympics. I'm a huge, I like love the Olympics, mostly gymnastics and ice skating pretty much are the two that I live for, but I watch it all. Um, I did get really into some of the track and field um, during the trials, but the reason why we're talking about that, this is not a podcast about the Olympics. Um, Toyota, uh, arguably one of the biggest advertisers in Japan and one of the biggest sponsors, one of the biggest advertisers in the world. And, um, you know, one of the biggest Olympic sponsors has come out and said that they are canceling their TV ads for the Olympics, which is a huge, huge, huge signal um, that is kind of illuminating the issue with this year's games. They were supposed to be last year's games. Now they're this year's games. Um, and it is fraught with issue. Um, there's, you know, COVID is still roaring. Um, there's the Delta variant, but above all else, it's, you know, it is not under control globally. The, the, before the opening ceremony, there was 2000 new cases and people are coming from all over the world and bringing it with them. And it is having an, while there is benefit of the Olympic games to the economy of Tokyo and to, and to the broader country, there's also massive restrictions for locals and it is driving a a really um, interesting and unfortunate kind of moment during games, which are supposed to be about pride and local pride and um, especially for the host city. So Toyota felt like they were listening to their audiences. They were listening to, um, you know, each other and they felt like it was, they're still going to sponsor the games, but they're not going to run TV ads. Uh, Very interesting. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of brands who are latching on to social purpose as a way of connecting with their audiences and trying to show people that they actually listen and it's not just like a broadcast for them. Uh, So I think it's an interesting place for us to to end here and interested to hear Juliana and Amanda what you think. Yeah, I am. I'm really here for that. I really think that that move, especially when it wasn't, something that people were like banging on Toyota's door, I believe saying like, you know, you advertising during the Olympics is inadvertently kind of allowing for us to all collectively turn our eyes away from the very real continued COVID situation. But I do think Kenny, exactly to your point, it's this recognition of, you know, what is just the right thing to do and how exactly will this paint the company if they're allowing themselves to show up in that way in the space? 
And I think especially just being proactive about it, Toyota, you know, now kind of leading the charge, any other advertisers or, that follow, you know, it will effectively be a great thing to do if they do choose to do so. But, um, you know, Toyota really blazing the trail. I'm, I'm super impressed. Yeah, I'm impressed by Toyota's move. And even to take a step back, thinking of the Olympics, very similar situation that the Oscars have been in over the last couple of years, understanding it's an older institution. There's a lot of conversation around, you know, equity and all of the things that you mentioned, Kenny. And I don't think it needs to be this big, scary conversation. I think it can be very simply put, long running institutions should iteratively, you know, understand how they're impacting the world. It doesn't need to be more complex than that. And I think Toyota and all the companies that, for instance, you know, made decisions during the Oscars, all the actors that, you know, didn't attend, things like that. Those are all in support of doing better. And it is not more complex than that. I think that's the, the baseline ask for, for, for things like the Olympics, the Oscars, et cetera. So hopefully we see more change come from it. All right. The Olympics. We hope you enjoy it. Toyota, good on you. Twitter, good on you. Facebook, sort of good on you. Um, all right. That's our show for today. It has been a blast talking with both Juliana and Amanda. Uh, very, very glad that you all out there in the universe could join us. If you don't follow us, please be sure to go on to Apple or Spotify and follow us. Uh, we appreciate you coming and listening to us. If you have anything that you want to add, share, prime, please reach out to us at podcasts at gray.com. Our intrepid producers, Joey and Danielle, while feverishly writing fan mail to us so that we feel like our inboxes are full, we'll probably respond to you. This has been fantastic. I hope you all are doing well. And as we say at the end of every show, please stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin, with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. I was listening to Nicki Minaj all morning. Which <laughs> album? No, just Starships on repeat. Ew, the worst one? <laughs> Why? So I was like, oh, what's Nikki up to? And then I typed in Nicki Minaj and the first thing that popped up was Starships. Uh, then I listened to it. I was like, oh, this is such a banger. And then... Uh, <laughs> no one's ever said that about that song. That's not true. Guys, I am so in to the Formula One show on Netflix. I'm like... I'm sorry? It is so good. I promise you, you need to go and watch it. It's all about the 20 drivers in Formula One. It's Even if like you're not really, really a Formula cool. One fan. I've never watched a Formula One race in my entire life. They're driving around in a circle. I was like, what is this? Between that and the Nicki Minaj Starships cup of <laughs> uh, coffee this morning, there is someone trying to put your interest down on a marketing yeah. <laughs> spreadsheet and they are just losing their mind <laughs> yeah, my job is to make sure that someone at Cantar just runs away crying 